0: Wake up, everyone. It's a brand new day. This is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Say it again. This is the turn Turn Pregnant Podcast. This is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. And this is the Starting Pregnant Podcast. I never used a microphone before. I wanted to do a quick episode about some of the ways that my husband and I are splitting up our days because coronavirus is insane and I am finding it fascinating to talk to people about how they are figuring out how to do work and life and all of the new things. Now, To be totally honest, working from home with children is absolutely insane. And most people that I've talked to have said they are getting maybe 20 or 30 percent of their typical workload done, maybe 40 percent, and other people are really struggling. Some folks have full-time help still and care. I know people who have had their nannies move in with them temporarily to keep them employed and also to create backup there are people who can't go without childcare right now, the essential workers. And in New York City, there are daycares and other services that are open, especially for essential workers. All of this to say, everyone's circumstance is completely different and it's really challenging and hard. I am a little bit dismayed by some of the headlines in the news where I'm seeing that women are suffering disproportionately, especially in parenting households uh, when women have more of the caretaking duties thrust upon them or partners that aren't helping as much or they don't have partners and they have small children at home. And then they're in a landscape where they are competing with people who don't have children or um, ideal worker typologies, it can be incredibly challenging and incredibly frustrating and downright impossible to get any work done when you have small children or parents or people who need care at home. So one of the things that I want to do is I actually want to interview more people about their particular circumstances at home with their partners if they have one, with their children if they have them, and start to see like what do each of these different situations and contexts look like? Because it, so much of this depends on where you live, who you live with, the equality of the partnership that you have, whether or not you have a partnership, the industry that you work in, the type of work you do, how long you have been in that field. I know people who are just starting brand new ventures, and those early months and years of getting traction uh, even if you're five years in, it can still feel like you're clawing at getting something stabilized and ready to go and grounded and you're building your community effort. And then this is thrust upon all of us and you're like, well, I can't get anything done. I've, I've thought about this before when I think about startup pregnant and people who are starting companies while being pregnant. And I think it's a lot easier to build a business or a company when you are in the fourth or fifth or sixth year. I think it's, It can be infinitely more challenging to do it from the ground up. It's not impossible, but I think there are particular challenges of the early days that make it really hard to do during things like coronavirus or pregnancy or huge changes in your life. That said, it's not impossible, but also it's so contextual. So if you want to share your story, if you think that you've got uh, a really interesting take on this, actually... I don't even know if I want to ask you to to evaluate. So many people listening are going to think, well, my story is not that interesting. And yet it is. It is so fascinating to hear the details of people. Please head over to startuppregnant.com or send us a note because I would love to do a short interview with you and ask you all of the nitty gritty details. What time you wake up, how many children you have, what kind of job you have, what kind of job your partner has, if they have one what you are doing now in coronavirus, what the hardest parts are, what the working parts are. I want to do four or five of these interviews and just get inside the homes and the lives of different people. The nuclear family is so weird. I, like, I already think it's such a weird construct. But the other part of it that's really weird is that we all live so isolated from each other that we don't actually get to see inside of each other's homes. We don't really get to peer inside and really see the functioning. I mean, the therapists in the world do. They really get to see our perception of how we're functioning. But really getting inside of these nuances and these peculiarities is what I want to do. So if you are willing to share and you're totally open and candid, please do reach out. I will take a couple of people. I'll let you know once we're all full. And if you hear the episodes on this podcast, then we're all full. But I want to talk to a couple of people about what it's like where you are. I find find more information and more detail, more texture can actually be really reassuring to me. Because when I compare myself blindly to other people, I'm a human, we do this, and I say, oh, how does so-and-so get so much done? I forget all of the contextual details like, oh, they started another company before. They raised several hundred thousand dollars. They made all of their sales so far. Her spouse has a really lucrative job or uh, they have nanny help in home all day long. They're living in the middle of the country and their that cost of housing isn't as much. Oh, this is really challenging. She only does, she only has two hours a day to work. Et cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. there are so many different textural and contextual details that are so important we cannot compare work or pregnancy i mean comparison in the first place as brene brown robs us of connection i love this sentiment from her when we compare we get further apart when we judge, judgment is, I believe she said, judgment is a thief of connection. Don't quote me on that. I will find it. But it was in one of her recent podcasts on the Unlocking Us podcast. And I was like, oh, that is good. When we judge, we put a wall up between us and someone else. And I think by seeing inside of each other's lives, we can actually start to connect more deeply. So today I want to let you inside my life. I want to, I I mean, I know that I do this a lot, but I want to tell you some of the specific things that we are doing. My husband's name is Alex. I am married in a heterosexual relationship um, and we live in New York City. We are both around the same age. He's two years older than me and we have been married now. Oh no, I don't know. I think we've been married for six years, I think. We have children that are one and a half and almost four. Six years. We've been married for six years. We've been together for eight or nine. Oh, I don't know. Nine. We've known each other for nine years. I just looked it up. We've known each other for nine years. We've been dating for eight years. We've been married for six years. Whew. That was hard. That was okay. I have succeeded in remembering something for the day. My checklist is complete. So when the pandemic started, first of all, the first couple of weeks were just chaos and navigating everything. My husband has a um, full time job, and he works as a creative director and a programmer for a small team, a small amazing team. They they do online education, and they do um, they teach people. MBA skills, bootstrapping skills, design skills, like so many cool things. I love his job. He loves his team. And he when, when we first started having kids, he adjusted his work schedule. So he works 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And he works from home on Wednesdays. That's his typical schedule. And it's been really great because stopping at 4 p.m., we both try to do this, lets us Pick up the children. Actually, create a dinner time routine with our kids. Spend time outside if we want to during the summer months and more. When we first met, he was doing uh, freelance work, and so was I. Well, I was working in an architecture at an architecture company, and then I left and did. I started my own consultancy in communications and marketing. And so for a while, we were both working from home and doing freelancing, solopreneur kind of work. We were both self-employed, and we lived in a tiny one-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn in a brownstone walk-up. We were on the fourth floor of a walk-up. And it was a funny building that had, uh, because we were on the top floor, it was a one-bedroom, but it had this little nook off to the side it was like the space above the staircase that wasn't used on the fourth floor and it wasn't big enough to be a bedroom and it also didn't have a door but we both put our desks in there and we're like oh this is our office until one day we realized that we were <laughs> sharing like 60 square feet of space and both trying to take phone calls with clients and we had an entire apartment that we could use for our office and we moved his office out to the living room so, I have lived in a tiny tiny space with my partner, and i have we 've both worked from home and we 've both been self employed so there 's a lot of shared history and shared knowledge. I know what his uh, his conference call voice sounds like I know what his client voice sounds like I know um, he knows what I sound like we know the quirks and behaviors so transitioning for us into working from home together again is not a new experience. And it is because there are children here home with us suddenly, but I am pretty intimately familiar with his quirks as a work-from-home person, and he is with I, with me. I know that a lot of people are just getting used to their partners or their spouses and being like, what you shout, or you're so loud, or this is, uh." and that can be a learning curve of itself just to get to know the nuances of somebody else that you are trapped with while you're working from home lovingly trapped with. I think two more important details to to note, especially for me. So I am self-employed right now and I'm building Startup Pregnant, but most of my work is is not client-oriented anymore. I do run a large community. We have 28 people in our Wise Women's Council and I work with some people one-on-one, but I do not do a full, I'll call it a caseload. I don't do a full caseload each week. The majority of my time is spent writing, building, designing, creating, and a lot of it is very independent, which I adore. Meetings are not my strong point. My strong point, like my zone of genius, is writing and connecting ideas and sharing ideas. And so most of my time, I want to say 75%, maybe 60 to 75% of my time is spent in an ideal world, in that area, uh, it's probably not that much. It's probably forty percent because there's like thirty percent administrative, and then thirty percent of it is clients. And for a number of years, I have been designing my schedule around wanting to write books for a living, wanting to do public speaking and write books for a living, and. In order to do that, I designed a teaching schedule where I teach on Thursdays and Fridays during the week. I sometimes see clients on Wednesdays, but mostly I try to stack all of my days so that I see clients on two, on Thursdays and Fridays, and I have also stacked it so that it tends to be between noon and 4 p.m. so that I still have five mornings a week where I am the director of my time. It has been such an incredible match for me as a person and a human being and a creative in addition i i love sales i will start with that caveat i do really enjoy sales when i believe in the thing that i am selling and when i um when i like i just know that it's it's useful for people i like sales to be easy i like it when i'm like here's a thing you're going to know if it's for you come join me if you want However, I do not like being in a constant sales cycle and I really do not like the agitation of a constant launch and launch and I don't know, launch and bust, like feast and famine cycle. And I'm not interested in that as a business model. So a number of years ago, I designed a lot of my programs to be annual programs where they're at least nine months, sometimes they're 12 months, and people purchase them one time during the year. I did this to streamline my business operations and again to maintain creative space. So creative writing space. That way I could have some seasonality in my uh, process and I would do sales in the winter and then I can do uh, community building during September. I can do writing during the summer and the fall and then sales again in the winter. And it is a program that is finally like or an engine that's finally working. It's taken me about four or five years to build but so this year I did my Wise Women's Council launch in December and January and I did my B School affiliate and my accountability annual program launch in February. And we actually closed our sales cycle for the entire year. So this is my business income, the foundation of it was all done by middle of February. I'm such a fan of this as a design because it lets me make longer term decisions, it lets me make hiring decisions, it lets me um, plan creatively, and then it lets me build phase two and phase three. So I can get back to the building. Because every time I go back to, whoops, I've got to make money and I've got to figure it out, it doesn't work. I'm also very aggressive with my savings planning. So I always save out, I do the profit first methodology, but I save out the taxes and I save out the profit. And then I have expenses after that. So all of this to say for you listening. The reason I'm sharing this is because for some reason or another I am incredibly fortunate right now that we closed most of our sales for this year before coronavirus came and hit. And that puts me in a position of safety and um I mean, I'm really grateful to my past self that worked for several years without getting paid to get to a place like this. I um I'm just really thankful. But what I want, the reason I want to share this is because if you are at all thinking, like, how is Sarah still podcasting? And how is she even making time for this? And like, why can't I do it? Any of those kind of comparative norms, just remember that everybody's situation is different. And I am not as panicked right now. I am working with a number of people in my council. A few people are on payment plans. Most people pay in full. And the reason to pay in full is because uh, for me as a business owner, again, I don't want to be spending a ton of time collecting payments. And I also want you to make the decision about joining from a wholehearted place and the knowledge that you can pay for something like this. So most people have paid in full. Some of their businesses are booming right now, the people that I'm working with. Um, some of them are not like there. There's a whole spectrum of people, and so I'm working individually with people right now who are affected by coronavirus. And I've got a couple of people where I say, you know what? Let's push this back. Let's like let's take a pause on our payments, or if you need me to spread this out over 24 months, let's do it. And the reason I'm able to do that is because I have been so aggressively saving over the last couple of years. I have reserves in the bank, and I'm able to do it. I'm also really grateful that I'm able to keep on board the four contractors that I work with and pay them through the rest of this year. That means a tremendous amount to me that I don't have to be questioning who I am hiring or not hiring. In fact, we might even be hiring a few people this year depending on the next couple of months and what happens. So how did coronavirus affect the work that I'm doing and the way that we set up our schedule? Well, because my husband has a full-time job and a team that he works with, we got together and we triaged and we said, okay, and we've done this a lot in our lives. Okay, like what are the certain situations that we need to make this work? How can we make this work and what needs need to be met? My husband has a team that meets with him. They have lots of meetings, lots of programs, lots of deadlines uh, between eight and four AM on the weekdays. The biggest hit collectively for both of us was that I cut a tremendous amount of my creative time out of the forecast. So, phase two for this year, the next programs we're going to launch are on pause. And a lot of my writing work is on pause. And that's hard, right? The two of us looked at this and said, oof, right? Like, what are the revenue generating activities and what can we maintain? So my business is now in more of maintenance mode. I am serving my clients. I am doing the podcast and I am writing my newsletter, but I am not going above and beyond the things that we wanted to make this year, virtual conferences, uh, in-person retreats. Uh, writing projects, all of these things, a a build out of another community, in fact. All of these ideas right now, just for the next couple of months, are on pause while we shift and triage and figure this out. So we made a kind of rigorous schedule, and we have been modifying it and adjusting it. Um, And before I get into the particulars of the schedule, I want to say something that's really important to me and requires, I think, or deserves a second episode, and that is that equal partnerships... Equal partnerships are not necessarily about splitting every single thing 50 50. I see this as a trap so much. You don't do the laundry, you don't do the trashes, you don't do the dishes, you, got, you work more hours than I do. In the real life human context, there are people who are doctors and teachers. We don't make the same amount of money. I wish we did in the society because teachers are absolutely amazing. We have people that work part-time and people that work full-time. We have people that are able-bodied and people that have disabilities. Equal partnerships are not necessarily about equal equality in every single domain, sphere, dollar, and uh, amount. To me, equal partnerships are about equal decision-making. You both come to the table and you are equal in partners about deciding what your life looks like. There is not one person who is the default decision maker or the steamroller or who says, well, this is just how it has to be. I think this is where the most frustration happens when one partner comes and they said, well, I make more money, so like I, this is what you should do. Or you're the woman, you're a gender, so this is what you should do. Anytime there are default norms assigned or the the two people don't feel like they're equally deciding things and they're both being seen and heard, that's where I think the majority of the problems are. I say that because we, my partner, and I have not divided our time equally, but we both decided it together. And to me, that's the most important part. So right now, we are, so on the weekdays, we are doing, uh, Alex is checking in with his team from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., and then from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. I get up in the morning, we both get up early, I sometimes wake up at 5 or 6, but I am consistently working around 6 to 9 a.m., so I get those first three hours, he gets the screaming kiddos, he actually takes them out of the house, and I try to get work done between 6 to 9 a.m., As right now, at the time of this recording, it is 8 00 a.m. and they are out in a park. So, this is how I'm getting the podcast done. I work from 6 to 9. Alex works from 9 to 12. From 12 to 1, we both share. So, he comes back out of the room. We both, we all eat lunch together as a family. We, Uh, get the kiddos and we get them into their naptime diapers. We, you know, the pull-up and the diaper would change the diaper of the little one. We put their sleep pajamas on if they want to wear them. We read them a book. We give them milk and they go down for naps around 1 p.m. They pretty consistently sleep from 1 to 3 p.m. It's about a two-hour nap. They both do it. Our older one sometimes fights the naps, and we have given him a teeny tiny nightlight and two books, and we say, you know, if you don't feel sleepy, you're allowed to read a book, but you can't get out of bed, and you can't bother your brother. It's working for the most part. And then sometime between 3 and 3.30, they start to wake up, and I am on call from 3 to 4 p.m. So I'm listening. If they wake up, I go get them. But that 1 to 3 p.m. time, we have time to get work done. And Alex and I will switch. So on my Thursdays and Fridays, when I have teaching calls and live calls with my clients, I'll tell Alex, I'll say, hey, I, I have a call. Can you be on point? Just in case the kiddos wake up. Most of the time they don't. So we both get some work time in there. And then from four, at 4 p.m. and 5 p.m., we both do uh, an hour swap. So one of us exercises at the 4 p.m. hour and one of us exercises at the 5 p.m. hour. We have an indoor bicycle. We have a Peloton. I'm a huge fan, uh, like just naturally and enthusiastically. I wish I could be an affiliate for them. I emailed and they were like, well, we already have too many people who are affiliates. But I love Peloton. This is not a sponsored segment for them. And we will exercise. We're trying to do it every single day, weekday, so five days a week. We each get an hour while the other one's with the kiddos. At 6 p.m., we have family dinner. At 6.30 p.m., we do, cha- like, bath time and changing into pajamas. We read stories, and the kids get in bed by about 7, 7.15 that's it. That's our day. That's how we divide up the day. I tend to get three hours in the morning and then maybe two more hours during nap time. And he gets about six hours during the weekdays to get his work done. Sometimes he'll get up at four or five and do an additional two hours of work before the kids wake up, uh, especially if he has a really big project going on or there's a launch happening. We are not necessarily evening people anymore. He was way back when, I want to say in his 20s, he could have stayed up till 2 a.m. on the regular. Nowadays, once we get the kids in bed, it's like 7.15. We both spend about an hour cleaning up the house and picking things up and sorting things. I tend to listen to an audiobook while I'm picking up the house and doing the dishes. We don't have a dishwasher. We don't have a washing machine. Yeah. There's a couple of things that would be really nice to have in my future. I really would love to have a dishwasher at some point in my life, but we don't have a dishwasher. So dishes takes like 30 minutes every night, but most of the time I either listen to an audiobook or I watch television. And it's really fun to sit there and watch television while I'm scrubbing the dishes. So I'll do the dishes, clean up the bath because it's a mess, clean up the toys because it's a mess, pick up and fold any laundry. Sometimes I'll run laundry down in the basement and get that done. And then we're usually in bed by around 830 And the latest we fall asleep is 10.30, but most nights it's like 9 or 9.30. So we have taken the weekdays and we have prioritized Alex's work just a slight bit. And then on the weekends, what we're doing is we're switching. And Alex tries to give me uninterrupted, as much as possible, uninterrupted full days. So I'll get up. At four or five, sometimes I'll sleep until seven. You know, it's it all depends on what the weekday looks like. I can't really sleep in past seven because the kids are so noisy and we live in a tiny apartment. But we, I will do work from six or 7 a.m. until about noon. And then I go out and I'm with the kids for an hour. So I get the early morning time and the nine to 12 time. And then I go out with the kids for an hour from 12 to one. We put the kids down. And then from one to three, either I'm completely brain dead because I've already been working for six or eight hours or I am like in it and ready to go again. Usually my creative rhythms, I I use that time and I I do in the laundry. There's so much laundry. (laughs) There's so much laundry between two adults that exercise every day and two kids that like just I don't even know what they do to their clothing. But I usually clean something in the house from one to three. And then I start to sit back in uh, and I get back into work from three to four. We we don't have to exercise on the weekends. We sometimes do, but we don't. Alex has taken to doing family movie at uh, 4 p.m. once the kiddos are up from naps. So they'll all watch a movie. And I love cooking. So I will cook. The other day I made a chicken pot pie, chicken and biscuits. And before that, I made this amazing vegetable curry. Um I love cooking so I will I will cook from like 4 to 6 while they're watching a movie and pretty distracted. And then sometimes I look at Alex at 5:30 and I'm like, "Hey, I want to finish this thing and I'll go work from 5:30 to 7:30." So I uh, at the time of this recording, it's a Monday and I just had a day yesterday where I worked for 8 hours and it was so unbelievably amazing. Like I this was the first long one that I'd had since the pandemic started because just because of the sheer exhaustion and the mental um, mental noise and like the tiredness and the fatigue and the worry and the overwhelm, I have moved from triaging and maintenance mode into being able to be a little more creative, and I'm so thankful for it. It's a different shift to take a Sunday and try to get all of my work done for the week in one single day, all the emails, all the newsletters, all the blog posts, all the podcasts. And it's a little bit challenging because on the weekdays from six to nine, sometimes I just start to sink my teeth into something. And then I stop and I'm like, well, there it goes. Like it's gone. I don't have another day to work on this until tomorrow. But we are doing pretty good over here. And it feels like we're starting to sink into a new rhythm. So that's it. That's a wrap here on our end This is how we're navigating the work schedules. The reason we're able to do it is because we both have uh, digital jobs that we can do remotely. I have a lot of creative control and flexibility over my schedule and my life. We have a pretty organized and structured routine as a family. And we've been able to navigate this by negotiating the time and figuring it out together. I also hope it was really helpful for me to share the inside picture of a little bit of my business cycle and the foundations here, because I'm not scrambling for the next, the next thing. I am focused on serving my clients who are already onboarded. I don't need to do any immediate sales funnels, although I do have projects that I want to build, and if I can build them, I will because I think they're useful right now. But that's it. That's a day in the life in New York City. It is now a little bit after eight in the morning. I can actually see out my window that my children and my husband are coming home. And I am going to wrap this up and see if I can edit it later today during nap time and ship it out. Thanks everyone for being a listener of the Startup Pregnant Podcast. A reminder, if you have a daily schedule that you want to share and you don't mind sharing the Like the nitty-gritty of what time you wake up, how many kids you have, the work that you and your partner do. I am fine if it's anonymous, like if you don't want to be associated with the specificity, but you must be willing to share the specific details because I think that's the part that's so interesting for other listeners. Send me a note, hello at startuppregnant.com. I'm going to do a couple of them. The interviews will all be done by Voxer because no one can schedule anything. Unless you happen to be able to get up at 6 a.m. Eastern time and you want to do an interview, then we can maybe schedule a live one. I'd love to interview you. And that's it. The front door just opened. The children are back. I will see you on the next episode. Hi. Hey. Come here. You want to come up? How is outside? outside? Yeah. Can you say yellow? Can you say yellow? Yellow. That's right. You say button. Okay. You say bye-bye. bye bye. Bye.